now going back to what I was saying earlier, I, two years ago when I saw you, you were on the PCC Super Squad, and um, I was watching all you guys shoot. It, of the divisions, you seem to shoot pretty much all of them. Which one is your favorite? Is it PCC? Single stack for sure. Okay. I love shooting single stack. Um, it's there's there's something about shooting the single stack 1911 platform and that game that was very very interesting to me. And I, I especially love shooting single stack at a match where there are open guns. Because, you know, if you go and shoot single stack nationals, like for the most part, the stages are kind of built around the idea that everyone's going to be shooting single stacks. But when you go to a match where open, limited, and PCC guns and stuff are all going to be there, the stages tend to have a little bit more uh, more options. Variety. Yeah. Variety, exactly. So yeah. your stage plans can get super creative, and you got to be able to find a good one and then execute it. It's, it's It really proves the whole mindset of like, you know, if you have the perfect stage plan, but you only execute at 80%, you're going to get beat by the guy that maybe has the 80% stage plan, but he executes it to 100% perfection. You know, okay. so, um, and it was just, it's just cool to to have that kind of uh, a gameplay. Because, like, you know, when you shoot limited or open or anything like that, and, like, maybe you've got a reload, very rarely will you ever have to do a second reload and open, right? And limited, maybe sometimes it's it's a beneficial thing to do. Um, like it kind of becomes, I think it just becomes a little stale at that point from time to time. And the first time I went and shot single stack was like brain overload because I was like, oh my God, I have to remember like five reloads for this stage, right? But the more and more I did it, it was just kind of like, man, this, this is kind of fun. And, and some of your stage plans have to get so wonky like you get into a port and yeah, there's three targets there, but there's also a target over here that I can shoot. And if I shoot these three and go to there, then I'm, I'm at eight, but there's another target that I can shoot on the move, but I don't want to be doing just a one and then a standing reload or anything like that. So you have to get so creative with being like, all right, I'm going to shoot, shoot this one coming into the port, shoot two in the port, shoot the one outside the port. I'm going to move to the right on the reload so that the last target through that port is shown. And then I can continue like your stage plans have to get, creative sometimes and and you have to uh think outside the box like just because you can see all these targets in this port doesn't mean that that's where you're supposed to engage them for the best stage plan so um yeah for me single stack for sure is just the, the most fun division for me to play in okay now i've shot a few matches where you know you've got a large round count stage in 28 to 32 rounds and it seems like it's a memory stage you have to remember three or four different or five different positions the targets you're shooting from each one, do you run into that more with single stack on just any large stage? Uh, no, no. I think once you once you have developed um, the skill set of of breaking down stages and and coming up with stage plans, it, that does get easier. Um, a memory stage is going to be a memory stage, though. Like, there's doesn't matter right. if I'm shooting my PCC or a single stack. Like, if I have to try and remember, like, okay, I got to shoot targets three, seven, twelve from here, and then I got to move over here and shoot targets one, four, six, but I can see seven and twelve again, so don't shoot those ones. And that's just gonna, that's just a memory stage that you've got to have memorized and execute on. It doesn't matter what, what platform and how many bullets you have. You just got to know how to execute that stage plan that you come up with. But um, no, I mean, I, I think, I think shooting single stack and even production in reality, because like, production is basically single stack minor, right? 10 rounds per mag and stuff. But yeah. like if you're, if you ever find yourself getting stale 
shooting limited or carry optics or anything like that, then go to one of those low round count divisions. And I guarantee you, it'll, you'll have to change your mindset real quick about how you break down stages and it'll just add a little bit of spice to it. And if anything, I think it also would benefit you to be able to think outside the box, because if you can think outside the box with only eight rounds, you know, eight plus one, um, man, when you go back to having 20 rounds, your stage planning is just going to be that much better because you were forced to be creative in the single stack division. Now, when you're limited, you might not have to be as creative, but every now and then you might be like, oh, there's something I didn't see. And I never would have seen if I only thought as a limited shooter my entire career, you know, so. Right. Okay. Interesting. <clears throat> What's your favorite division to shoot so far? Um, well, the, I've actually only shot one division and that is carry optics Okay. because I found this game so late that I ended up so I still have um, a little better than 2020 vision, except up close. So I have to wear reading glasses. So now everything, you know, within arm's reach is clear. And when I went to shoot, I was like, ooh, that, that front sight and the rear sight and the target, none of them want to come into focus together. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to have to do something different here. So that's why I got a dot and that's why I've shot a dot the whole time got it. just okay. so I didn't have to worry about the depth and, and everything. So more out of so, necessity than, than anything. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think I would enjoy, like I'll, I'll still, you know, I've got a 45 that's iron sights. I've got a couple other guns that are iron sights. So I'll dry fire irons and I actually feel like um, it's quicker. I feel like, I can get, uh, I feel like I can call my shots better actually, but it's probably because of the dot. So what I find is when I go back and I'll dry fire irons, I find just how much I am trying to be too precise with the dot. That's why I say it's quicker because I'm not trying to refine it down to a spot. Like I will catch myself doing and dry fire with a dot. Like, it has to be, you know, wherever exactly here. Like if it's a wide open target at 10 yards, I'll still try to put it on a certain spot instead of get it in the A zone and bust the shot and go. So, and I don't do that when I dry fire with iron sights. I just put it in the middle, pull the trigger, go to the next target. So. See, that's funny because it's, it's the exact opposite for me. When I shoot my iron sights, oh. and I, I've been like, Oh, my front side is all over the place, but I know it's going to be a good alpha, maybe a Charlie. So I'm just pulling the trigger. And when I, when I put a dot on my gun, and it's one of the reasons I think I, I uh, did so poorly at Carry Optics Nationals when I shot it last time was because my brain refused to pull the trigger until I put the dot back in the center of the window. So it didn't matter that the dot was in the center of the target. I would shift and move the entire gun to move the dot back to the center of the window before oh. I shot the shot. So that wow. was something I noticed myself doing. I wasn't comfortable with the fact that the, the dot was on the right side of the window. And even if it was in the A zone, my brain refused to let me pull the trigger because it wanted to see the dot in the center of the window. So um, that's something I got to work on as far as shooting dots. Now, I don't shoot dots very often. I, I hardly ever, I've shot like two open matches before in my life. I've shot, I, I hadn't even shot a uh, carry optics match before I went to nationals because naturally that's, na that's really where you want to learn the division is at nationals. You know, practicing for it is stupid, <laughs> right? Like, who's, who's going to waste time practicing for something? Um, right. 
Like, oh, I think Lord. I think I had I probably had 400 rounds downrange behind that gun before nationals, just so Holy I could get to God. a point where I wasn't having a two and a half second first shot because I couldn't find the dot. That's that's the only thing I really wanted to do was just get to a point where I could find the dot on the draw, and then the rest of it I was going to learn. Uh, you know, you baptism by I, fire, which I did. I feel like you're treating your dot like a front and rear sight. You know. The dot being your front sight, it's got to be perfectly aligned in the back of the rear sight. Well, Holy and I can't, cow. I can't even tell you how many times I found myself focusing on the dot. It, no matter how many times Nils before the match started, like each day would tell me, "Hey, look at your targets, look at your targets, look at your targets, man." I'd still halfway through a stage be like, "Oh, and I'm looking at my dot again." Like, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. yeah it, it, different game i didn't practice it i didn't expect it to be as difficult to to transition to as um as i thought it was going to be but uh yeah I, I ended up getting my ass kicked at that match and that was a very humbling experience and while it was embarrassing to get my ass kicked that badly um it was also kind of refreshing to uh have a fire ignited again in me being like wow we're never going to let that happen again like you know it was you will never be that. You will never be so embarrassed that you even question whether or not you're going to go to the awards ceremony again. Because I, I legit was like, you know what? I'd rather just stay at the Airbnb and get drunk. <laughs> so I ain't going to the really? awards. That's, that's how embarrassed I was with my performance at Carry Optics in that match. Wow. Uh, I, I, look, I, and not to sound like a, a dumbass, but I, I thought you shot pretty good. So, I, well, and, and you know what? I'm not going to say that I shot bad. It was just that um, for you, you shot bad. I get. I, I had higher expectations of myself because of where I've finished at multiple matches prior to that match. So it was for me. Mm. It was just, oh, I'm just going to carry optics nationals, whatever. Like you know, I'm going to try and maybe talk top 50 or top 40 or something like that. Dude, I found it. I was like 96th or whatever it was. I was just like, oh my gosh, I barely stayed out of the triple digits in the places. That's. At least you didn't shoot the steel target frame on stage one. So. Ah, but I probably shot one somewhere else. <laughs> no, uh, it, it was a fun match. And, and like I said, it was it was good to, to be humbled um, at the match. It was a, a, a refreshing feeling. And it was good. Uh, it was a great learning experience. Because like I said, like I, I discovered the idea like, oh my gosh, like there are people out there that shoot dots very, very well. You're not one of them yet, but you can get there. You just got to go out there and actually put some more time behind it. So um, now with this year coming up, I, I've been trying to, I've been shooting IPSC and USPSA for like eight years in a row now, you know, trying to make world shoot team and all that kind of stuff, which I did for Thailand. I just didn't go because Thailand is stupid. Mm. Um, well, not that Thailand's stupid. It was just I, the... You know, everything going on, COVID and the restrictions and vaccinations. Now you don't need vaccinations, but you might have to quarantine right. and you have to test. And I was just like, I'm not like, we're not playing that game. No, no, thanks. Um, with this year coming up, I was just kind of like, you know what? I need to, I need to get back to my roots. So uh, I'm actually focusing on, on multi-gun again this year. So I'm going to try and go back and, and uh, be humbled in three-gun. Because when I left three-gun, I was, I was a pretty solid contender. Now I'm coming back being like, hey guys, remember me? Uh, what do I do again? <laughs> so has three gun been revived then? Uh, I mean, for me, I feel like it, even if it wasn't as popular as it was before with three gun nation and stuff like that, I still think that uh, I'm going to have fun being able to, to pull out the rifle and the shotgun. Um, I, and I might, one thing I'm going to do that I've never done before in three gun is shoot open. 
because we've got, you know, Rock Island Armory has the VR80. I've got this badass VR80 Epsic model that's been sitting in my safe for a couple of years that just hasn't, she wants to get beat to hell, but there's no matches for me to go to. So it's time to get her out of the safe, make sure that uh, she's all oiled up and, and ready to go and then uh, go see how she does. So yeah, I'm signed up for, um, as of right now, I'm signed up for the Zombies of the Heartland match um, in Grand oh, Island. Man. I've got Multigun Nationals um, up in, what is it, Wisconsin or Minnesota or something. I don't know, somewhere up north. Um, and then I think there's one more I'm supposed to be shooting, but I can't remember what it is. I'm still signed up for Area 3 because that's, you know, Grand Island again. So it's only like a four and a half hour drive for me. But um, And I'm probably going to shoot single stack there because it's – I normally – I traditionally shoot PCC at that match just because – I like being made fun of by Nils and Bob Crow and Jeremy Reed and all that. But but this year I'm actually going to go take my single stack. Uh, it's been a while since me and Jeremy had a good battle. So I want to go there and uh, and see how I fare up against him with the single stack still. Now, uh, before we move on, I wanted to – there were a couple of questions I had earlier when we were talking about Carry Optics Nationals. One, what are your thoughts on CMP uh, and hosting Nationals? Uh, I think CMP is a fantastic range. It's a great venue. Um, I actually enjoy shooting there very much. The, the range setup and everything is, is really nice. Uh, I will say, however, uh, I kind of miss traveling to different locations. Um, this uh -huh. whole thing has always happened where, you know, when I first got started, I was shooting, you know, a couple area matches here and there, but Nationals was technically always like kind of in Vegas. Um, which was my home range and stuff. But then when I started expanding out, it was like, okay, so that's where they started splitting up the divisions for nationals. So there was a time where like, you know, you went to Quincy, Illinois for uh, production and single stack nationals. And then you went to Florida for limited and open nationals. And then you went to Vegas for the handgun nationals or whatever. And so you got to travel and, and kind of see some different ranges and, and whatnot. And this, and I get it. I understand from a business point, like it's a great venue. And if the price is good for USPSA, then why wouldn't we just continue to, to have match after match after match there? Because they've got all these resources. They got an amazing facility. All the equipment's already there, you know, to just throw, throw a Conax on the property, throw stuff in there and just kind of let it set until the next match. So it makes sense logistically and financially, but I do miss like traveling around to, to go to some of these bigger matches. And, and you know, it wasn't even the same with Three Gun Nation. Like, you know, at one point when Three Gun Nation first started, they used to follow the major matches throughout the country. So it wasn't Three Gun Nation had their own match. It was that they took the points based on Superstition and then Blue Ridge and then Tar Heel and then Nationals. And they took all those scores and compiled them together. Um, then eventually they started doing their own tour. And then when they did that, everything just ended up being in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it was like you traveled to Tulsa, Oklahoma eight times a year to shoot three-gun nation match. And it was just kind of like, well, that's kind of boring. That's not even a tour anymore. Like imagine if the PGA tour just went and played Pebble Beach every time. Yeah, that like, would be boring. You know, it's not a tour. It's you want to go play for the PGA Pebble Beach? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. Exactly. Now, what did so you I, think of the number of stages for like a national level event? Do you think it was adequate? Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I don't, I'm not a huge, uh, like, I think, like, I think there's such things as, as too much. Like, if you're, if you're trying to do, like, a 38-stage match, because for me, like, it, it's always, I've always been kind of like a, 
quality versus quantity kind of guy. Like, just to say, like, oh, I shot 38 stages. Well, yeah, but if, if 18 of them are boring as hell, then what was the point? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have fun shooting those stages. I stood there, shot four, reloaded, shot four, and I was done. That's what I flew all the way out here. Got a hotel, a rental car, shipped ammo so I could stand there and do... I could do that at home. I want to go shoot nationals where there's stages that, like, I refuse to build myself because they're just massive and big or, you know, complicated. They've got moving targets and stuff. So, um, yeah, like, I think I think a, you know, for nationals, a, a 15 to 20 stage match of good, solid stages with great, great um, planning and all that kind of stuff is going to trump a... 32 stage match where there's 18 standard stages like I, I and i understand the point of standard stages too i understand the point of standard shoots it, that's where you, you you might not necessarily win because of that stage but you can definitely lose right so it is kind of a high pressure but yeah you only need maybe five or six of those to make a point agree if that so, yeah now, the other thing you had mentioned earlier when you were talking three-gun was coaching. And one of the questions I've asked people before is, do you see coaching ever coming to USPSA? Not at, at a... Like in nationals. No, no, that'll never happen. Um, it just doesn't... I mean, if you're... Like, not to say that... Na like, I don't... Not to say that a new shooter shouldn't ever try and come and shoot nationals. But that's nationals. It's you're you're really it's supposed to be the pinnacle of our sport right um they don't play six stanley cups in the nhl throughout the year there's only one team that gets to win the stanley cup and they've got to make the fight all the way through so you if you want to come to nationals that's kind of like for me i feel like that's like where you really test yourself because it's not again we're all competitors it's a competition but the fact of the matter is there is nothing that anyone else can do to affect your shooting. It's all on you, right? You watch someone else shoot and they burn the stage down and you get intimidated by it. They didn't do that to you. You did that to yourself. You're the one that chose to watch. You're the one that's now scared and intimidated and want to, you know, you feel fired up and you got to go attack that stage, right? So even though it's a competition, the, the real competition is with yourself. It's you need to tell your brain to shut up. You need to come out with your plan, ex do the execution that you know how to do. We all practice pulling the trigger. Um, I mean, I would dare to say, you know, any, any sport that you talk about, they always say the same thing. It's like 70% mental and the rest of it's physical, right? 80% mental to 20% physical. And yet in shooting, you find that so many people spend way more time on the 20% act of shooting and pulling the trigger. What about the mental side? How many times have you ever been at a local level whooping all the A-class guys? You should be a master. But then when a classifier jumps on stage, you can't shoot a classifier to save your life because your mental game isn't there. You know, like that stage int intimidates you or you're, you're excited about trying, but your, your focus is not on the execution of what you need to do. Rather, it's, it's a classifier. I want to make master. Let's do it. Oh, it's like, you know, so um, when, when you go to nationals, that's really the pinnacle of everything. You need to get to a point where... You have the confidence to execute the shots that are required for the targets that you're presented with and then not worry about who shot the stage and what time and how many points down. You just need to go and execute your game and then see where the balls, you know, or see where the results end up. So for well, me, Nationals, I don't feel like it'll ever be a, a coaching match where that's allowed even for new shooters. But 
at and I think at the local level, absolutely. I used to coach people all the time when I was in Vegas, and I and I would shoot locals. They were a brand new shooter. I would just be. I would tell them like, look, if you want coaching, I'm going to tell you how to shoot this entire stage from start to finish. Because I want to get you through the match. I want you to have fun. I want you to be safe. You know, so the way I'm going to teach it to you or, or coach it to you is going to be the safest way that we can get you through the stage. And I'm going to constantly reminding you, like, hey, make sure your fingers off the trigger. Okay, we're reloading. Keep the muzzle down range. You know, stuff like that. But so I think there's a place for coaching. It's just not at nationals. Now I've got a an episode coming out with um, Jay Slater. Uh, he's written some software where you can rate people and rank shooters and when i've talked to other people about live streaming things like nationals that type of thing they're like well it's with the way we do our scoring like you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about top shot how everything was instantaneous something broke something exploded whatever it was you knew immediately whether they met the challenge or not but the way the USPSA does their scoring, you don't. You have to wait. Everything has to be scored. Um, what I was wondering, with the way he wrote his software, you can literally have like a NASCAR-style points race where people collect points at different major matches, and then that would put you in the running at nationals for the national title what are mm -hmm. your thoughts on something like that instead of just a culmination of you win nationals that's it i mean well i i think at that point the nationals just becomes another area match if the goal is to win the tour right then nationals is just another match that you have to go shoot to accrue points to actually win the big prize um, it's not a bad idea. I just don't know if it would be something that, you know, you like, it would be kind of cool. I guess the idea is like an aggregate, right? Like you get to see who's, who's the one that shot the best throughout the year. And then you just have to require what matches they have to shoot. So like that, that requirement could be that you have to shoot all the area matches and nationals to qualify for this shooter's cup or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I don't know that that'd be an interesting thing to, to try. I would be interested to see something like that. Um, I think it would be interesting if, just for example, you required four of the eight areas to be shot, and that's worth 50% of your points, your standings there, and then nationals would be the other 50% of your points. So you could, you know, jockey for position. So if if you did really well on your four area matches, then maybe you only have to be top 10 at nationals versus top three. I don't know. It'd be interesting where you, you may be that guy who you could win it, but you've got to win nationals. So now there's even more pressure or it'd be pressure like there is now. It would just be interesting to try it just to run some numbers in the background. Like don't change the format right now, but just run some numbers and take the top out of the top, say 20 who at nationals. So in June, July one, you look at carry optics nationals and you say, okay, if this were a continuation from last year, because look, June is way too early. There's very few 
major matches you would be shooting before then. But it would be interesting if you added last year's um, totals to this year and then compared them just to see where people fell. I think it could be interesting. Well, then you got you also have to factor in, you know, what if um, – <clears throat> Because it could also be dependent upon nationals, right? Like if it's if it's a standalone nationals like Carry Optics was, then that would be a higher pointage match versus one where there's three divisions going on. You know, it's single stack production and revolver. Like those points, right. like now you've watered down the field because someone that's a production shooter could go and shoot single stack, or someone that's normally a single stack shooter decides to shoot production, or or either one of them just still point and laugh at the revolver shooters. Um, you know, so. So, yeah, it could be interesting. Um, and then you got the idea of like, okay, so now you got to cherry pick which area matches you're going to because Christian's going to be at area one, three, and five. Well, I don't want to go to either one of those and get spanked by Christian and end up only getting, you know, 40% because I end up 80% of him. So I got to wait until I go to him. He's not going to a match so I can go and compete and not have to do, oh, wait, no, Nils just showed up. Fuck, now I'm back down to 80%. You know, it's like, it'd be interesting right. to, to see what the, um, what the strategies would be from shooters that uh, would try and game it to, to hide from, from people that are going to just absolutely dominate them to try and score as many points as possible. I don't know. It, it, there, there might be something there and not to say that's something that can't be done. You just got to get shooters involved, say, Hey guys, everyone pay $50 and whoever wins at the end of the year wins the pot. Here's the scoring system. Who, who's in, it could be something simple. It doesn't have to be USA, USPSA sanctioned event. It could be just the sanctioned that's events true. are where you accrue the scores but the results can be something that you guys – it's like fantasy fantasy football, fantasy hockey, whatever. You get to pick exactly. which player – you get to pick which players you want to play that night and however they play, you know, it's five different players from five different teams playing in five different games, and yet somehow you're able to find some sort of scoring system to make it work, so. Uh, yeah, it could be interesting. Yeah. Do, you, do you see yourself shooting any limited optics? Uh, because it involves a red dot, I don't have a lot of confidence <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, not to say that I wouldn't try it. I think it would still be a fun division to go to. I still enjoy, I still enjoy just going to matches and shooting. I mean, let's be honest. We don't go to matches to shoot. We go to matches to hang out and reset because the shooting is only 5% of what we do. The rest of the time we're taping targets, setting steel, repainting. And then getting drunk or getting dinner with, with our friends and stuff like that. So um, I still enjoy the experience uh, way more, you know, when I'm when I'm with good people and, and just having having a good time. So, um, yeah, if it'd be another match to to justify going to, to one, test equipment, test my skill set, but then at the same time just be able to hang out with good people and, and make some good memories and what, what the hell, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Now, one question that um, I do like to ask people is what does your make ready look like? So when that RO walks up to you, you're at nationals and he says, make ready. What does that process look like for you? Dude, I'm, this is going to be the most boring answer you ever get from a GM level shooter. <laughs> I literally pull the gun out of the holster, throw the mag in it, load it, put the safety on, put the holster, put it back in the holster and I go. Uh, I don't, okay. I, I used to do the whole walk through it in my head and, and, you know, draw the gun and do it, do three or four dry fire. I used to be that guy. Um, and I really started doing that when I started shooting Ipsic because in Ipsic, you're not allowed to do any of that. 
and if they can make ready, you can't take a site picture. You can't do a dry fire drop. Like you, you've got to make ready. Um, so to, to train myself out of doing that because I was trying to make the world shoot teams, I started doing it all the time. And what I found was that, like, what am I nervous about? I either know the stage plan or I don't. I either know how to pull the trigger or I don't. And if anything, there were a few times where, you know, you'd make ready, you'd pull the gun out, reset the trigger, set it. And then when you draw, you go like this and flinch the fuck out of the gun on your dry fire. And you're like, oh, that was bad. Well, I literally just reinforced that right before mm. the buzzer goes off. I don't want to see that and then get myself more amped up. Cause I, oh my God, that was a terrible trigger pull. Oh, I got to do three more to try and make sure that it's right. It's like, you're just adding more stress and pressure to yourself at that point by watching you do something, you know, right before the buzzer goes off. So, um, yeah, I just, I, once, once I started shooting Ipsic, I just started making ready like that. And since then it's just kind of like, you know, let's go again. I, I confuse ROs if it's an unloaded start and they say make ready. And I just, I have my hand on my gun and then I'm just like, and then I drop my hands and I'm ready. They're like, are you ready? Like, really? That's it? <laughs> You're not going to pull the gun out? You're not going to... Like, I, I was ready to go eat a burger. By the time I was done with my burger, I thought you'd be ready to shoot. But, um, yeah, no, that's... That, my make ready is just... I'm I'm ready to go. I've, I've got my stage plan. I know what I need to do. So, let's, let's fucking get to work. Now, when you first made that change, did you have any hiccups? Or did you go... Did it just feel comfortable right from the beginning? There, there was a level of anxiety to starting that way because it was so new from what I've always historically done, which was to do a couple of dry fire practices, make sure I do one last walkthrough through my head, you know, and not to say I still, I'll still do a mental walkthrough to make sure that I'm solid, but my, my make readies instantaneously went from being three minutes to like 45 seconds. So there's, right, there's no buildup, there's no stress, there's no... In, in, like if I'm fired up, I'm fired up and no amount of dry firing or, or practicing my draws and stuff is going to get me to calm down right before the buzzer goes off. I get, I get calm once the buzzer goes off and I'm going to work. But you know, even, even when I go to nationals or any major match, like the first stage, if you could, if you could keep track of my heart rate, the first stage before I go off is probably the highest it'll ever be. And then literally as soon as the buzzer goes off and I'm about six or seven shots in, I will feel so much less pressure and I'll feel my heart rate go down. I'll feel my breathing come under control. Like there's, there's no more tension and stress. Cause I'm just anxious. I'm just excited about getting the match started. And then once it's got it started, like, okay, cool. This is what I came here to do. This is what I do kind of thing. Like I don't necessarily get nervous after or before every stage anymore. Um, the only time that ever happened was at world shoot. The first time I went to world shoot in France, that was the first time in a long time where every stage I went up, went up to, I was, I was fired up. I was ready. And really to, to take that into account when I left, uh, France after the world shoot, um, I want to say I had about, tw I think it was either 12 or 14 misses. It wasn't a, it wasn't a proud number to be proud of. Uh, and, and the worst thing about that is all, every single one of those misses when I was on a static target. I hit, oh, wow. I hit every single moving, swinging, drop turning target at world shoot. I missed all on static pieces of paper. Wow. <laughs> it was, it Goodness. was embarrassing, but disrespecting um, a bunch of targets out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I wasn't giving them credit because I was so worried about this, you know, 38 yard swinger with a no shoot on the ball. I was like, man, I, I had three alphas on that one, but, uh, 
Yeah, you see that wide open target at 12? That was a Charlie Michael nut. Oh my God, you're kidding me. <laughs> wow. Now, how did you enjoy your world shoot experience in France? Great. I'd go back in a heartbeat. I loved I loved shooting in Chateau. The, the little city that we stayed in was awesome. Um, the the range was beautiful. Uh, France was just awesome. Um, it, it it helps too that I've got a team member that lives in France, so like you get to hang out there. Oh. Fell in France, like what the hell? Why not? Hell yeah! Oh um, yeah yeah yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, that, that guy, that, that little guy. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about that little guy, right? Right. Um, no, it was it was great, and I I absolutely I think it was a a very cool experience because the thing about World Shoot is your job is to shoot. You don't reset a single target. You don't do any of that. Like they've got they've hired people to reset the stages to score them everything. You literally just your job is to go there and shoot. So you just sit in the back until it's your turn. Um, now the interesting thing, and this is this is for all IPSC matches. One of the things that you also have to get used to is the fact that normally, the the stage planning time, you can't walk stages prior um, to the match starting, and the only time you can walk the stage is when it's your turn to shoot that stage, and you typically only have three minutes to walk the stage instead of five. So you've got twelve people all at world shoot trying to you know figure out how to walk mm. the stage so you, you kind of have to figure out this this different way of of walking stages because um and i even do this at at uspsa events and stuff too where once the stage reef is over majority of the people go to the start of the stage and that's where they're going to start their walkthrough i will actually go towards the middle or the the back half of the stage to walk that part first because then when i go back to the front four or five people are already through the start of the stage and now I can get there kind of sooner. And I got to, I literally have more time on stage to come out with my stage plan because I was, I started, you know, 50% past the the start point and that's where I started my walkthrough. So whenever you see me do a walkthrough initially, that's, you'll notice that I always walk towards somewhere down range to the end of the stage before I go back to the start. Now, what do you think the USPC, USPSA would have to do to be able to, and I'm just talking like national level events, to where the shooters could just focus on shooting and no resetting? Do you see that as an option? Uh, not without increasing the match fees, because if, you know, Uh, at an event like the world shoot and stuff like that, they've, they've got like, you got to take into consideration like world shoot. When you sponsor world shoot, you're not sponsoring product. You're sponsoring money. And that money is going to go towards the event. It's going towards the opening ceremonies. It's going towards the match. It's going to the ROs and, and the resetters. And then it's going to the closing ceremonies and the dinner and the awards. There's no prize table at world shoot. It doesn't matter if you won world shoot, you get a medal and the pride, the pride to be able to say that you won gold medal for gold or for the USA and, and, you know, whatever, like that's, there's no prize table. There's no prize money at world shoot. You just get that, that honor and that privilege to, you know, represent your country and, and bring home gold for it. So, you know, imagine, imagine what you could do if instead of $2,000 worth of product, all these companies were sponsoring $2,000 to the match to be spent towards the shooters, not, not prizes and $2,000 per company at a match with sponsorship 
would be more than enough to be able to pay for people to come out and RO and reset. And, you know, so the shooting experience would be great, but then, you know, the people that place 250th still want their box of used primers to go home with. So <laughs> right. you know, it's kind of, you got to pick and choose. If you want the prize table, then great. Then do the work because the money ain't there. But if you were willing to just go there to experience it and, and enjoy the experience and get to do something cool, um, and the prize didn't matter to you as far as like walking, like, Oh, I won a gun. Like, yeah. If you want a world shoot, congratulations. Here's your medal. Get out of our now, country. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. Go away. Yeah. Ugly American. Uh, so with all of the social media posts from Thailand, were you kicking yourself at all for not going, seeing all those? pictures and and all of that no okay no no i was i was very confident with my decision of not wanting to go to that match and and it it really had nothing to do with the match necessarily um not wanting to be a part of a part of it uh you know it was i've got i've got my girlfriend kelly we got a three-year-old baby and stuff and Mm. well toddler so she's not even a baby um so for me to leave for you know, 10 days to leave her alone, I would have felt a little bit bad. She told me it was like, if you need to go, then go. It's not a big deal. But the flip side to that was like, man, I'd really like it if it was a family-friendly place that we could all travel to. So while I'm at the range shooting, it doesn't even necessarily mean that her and the baby got to come with me. They can go off and do something else, and then I can catch up with them after the match or something like that. But at least it'd be traveling to somewhere cool. Well, one of the sex capitals in the world just doesn't seem like a very family friendly place. I don't need some lady boy walking up to my three-year-old being like, Oh, you're so pretty. Like hey, get those grubby things <laughs> off my daughter. You just, you know, I don't care if you're a lady boy or a girl or whatever. Like, no, thanks. No, thanks. Don't need my daughter being you know exposed to that. And I'll say that it sounds like from, from what I've heard from, from a lot of shooters, boy, the, uh, the food poisoning situation or the, I don't feel so well. And I've got the trots and stuff from, from everyone that, uh, that went, I'm boy, not only am I glad I didn't go, my butt's glad I'm not, I didn't go either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I heard some people say that, you know, those people that liked to partake of the street food, uh, paid for it. Yeah. So, I mean, plumbing must be all right because it held up, but <laughs> <laughs> Now you mentioned earlier you that you started a podcast. What what made you get into the podcasting? Um, it was a way for us to try and get a little bit more content creation from the Rock Island and Arms Corps side. Um, but I did make a stipulation when we decided to do the podcast. See, what I didn't want was I didn't want Arms Corps to have this podcast where it was just all about Arms Corps and Rock Island Armory and let's talk about how great our products are because that just becomes propaganda. Like, no one's going to want to listen to my podcast because if all they're going to hear is me talking about how great our products is, like, well, I there's a marketing department for that. I can just watch any advertisement for our products and get that, right? So for me, it was just kind of like this idea of, um, I had, and I had to find some way to be a little bit different. Most of the podcasts that are out there, like, you know, it's, it's about competition. It's about shooters. It's about, you know, whatever. It's get very, very gun-centered and oriented, uh, which is not a bad thing, but for me... Uh, what I wanted to try and do with my podcast was to expand to anyone that is a firearms enthusiast, Second Amendment pro, you're a pro Second Amendment person. Uh, but also, if, if we decide to start talking about something else that they're interested in, or maybe even is their profession, um, 
then cool. I, let's talk about that too. And if it was, you know, the first episode was with Julie. So we talked about Smith and Wesson. We talked about the guns that they were, they were coming out with and, and stuff like that, because I don't want it. I didn't want it to be so like, no, oh, arms core is the greatest. Let's talk about how arms core and rock Island army is the best pistol ever. And it's the best one budget. And I, I wanted right. it to be an open conversation with, with just people that love firearms and, and love the second amendment and, you know, want to make sure our rights are protected and, and stuff like that. So, um, I've got some cool guests that uh, that have agreed to come on. I've got some cool episodes that, are, that have popped up. You know, I was able to get Julie for the first episode, Rob Pincus for the second. The third one just dropped from Brian uh, with Hunter's HD Gold, who we all know in the competition world. Like, if you don't know who right. Brian is, then you just haven't been to a match in the last couple of years. The guy's all over the no. place, right? He is. Um, and then I've got I've got a few more episodes coming out. I have I've got John Scouton. He came on to the show. Mm. Um, we got uh, John Sharps, who's from Sharps Bros Rifles. Um, he agreed to come on to the show. And then I've got some some other guests that uh, I've got lined up that are going to be super cool because it's like I said, it, like while it's mostly firearms based, um, you know, I, I talked about uh, I I just recently on on we haven't released the episode yet, but Jared Crosby, who's an MMA fighter and le officer and then he also just happens to shoot competition so we talked about being an mma fighter and and all that kind of stuff um i've got another buddy of mine who has agreed to come on we just haven't scheduled time yet but his name is morgan wade he's a pro bmx writer he won he won gold at the uh, i think it was the 2013 x games in big air bmx and he just happens to also be sponsored by vortex and multicam and a couple other gun companies because he he's also a really really good shooter so, you know, it's just, it's just cool to be able to have this conversation with someone that loves guns, but his profession is riding a bike and getting occasionally knocked out when he doesn't <laughs> execute right. it. Right, you know? yeah. Um, Consequences of that miss are much greater. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> you know. So, um, and it's just been cool to be able to have some of these conversations and learn some things that I didn't realize before or never thought of before. And, and um, yeah, I mean, we, we literally talk about everything from hunting to guns to bmx to mma to tv broadcasting and you know all that kind of stuff camera gear and and all that so all right and what was the name of it again so that one's called open action with john mcclain okay there we go so there's that and then the other thing that i've been doing just to uh, try to make a little side money as well because i'm you know who wasn't doing that is i've actually started <laughs> making uh i've actually started making some holsters and mag pouches as well um so I've, uh, I've, I call them FPS holsters, not for fan, not for feet per second, but for fancy pants shooter. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, FPS holsters. So it's it's actually pretty cool. You know, the first first set of holsters I'm making, I got one right here. This is a, a I want to do a competition pack. So it's a very basic, just running running regular belt clips. So anyone that just has a normal belt can can put this gear on. Um, it's going to be one outside the waistband holster and five mag pouches. Uh, for $180 shipped, and then I've got a CCW kit, which is one inside the waistband holster and two mag pouches for $100. And the cool thing about the mag pouches is, if you can see here, that silver screw is an Allen screw, and that's actually how you adjust the retention on these mags. So traditionally, you would tighten up these screws to squeeze the pouch from side Correct. to side. Well, this screw, you screw it in, and it pushes a piece of plastic into the body cavity of the mag pouch. So it, hmm. it adjusts the retention by squeezing from front to back. And the cool thing that we found about this mag pouch is this one is set up for a Glock. Uh, I sent some off to Nils, and it'll also fit his Canic mags. 
without oh, without having to change okay. the body. So the Canics and the Berettas and all that kind of stuff fit in it as well. Like once you tighten that screw down and adjust that retention, they don't shake, they don't rattle or anything like that. Um, and yeah, like I said, the, the idea was to just put regular belt clips on it. Um, as like, if you ever had a buddy that wanted to go shooting and you were just kind of like, oh, cool, here, here throw, throw this belt and these mag pouches on real quick. You can do that. So um, I feel like a lot of the double stack nine and maybe even some double stack 40 would fit those pouches. Like it would be not, not necessarily universal, but almost. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually kind of what the way they market it. Um, this is for like the standard, yeah. Double stack nine and forties. Um, the only yeah. thing they won't necessarily fit are the 1911 or 2011 style mags. That's a different kind of okay. mold to, to get that side, but um, still runs the same mag retention device. It's just that the body of the, the mag pouch would just end up being a little bit wider for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just something, like I said, I, I kind of got started with making molds here in my home uh, for like the lock, local law enforcement. And I just put some stuff out on Marketplace like, hey, does anyone need a holster? Hit me up. So people would literally come to my house with their guns and I would just press holsters out for them and get them made. Uh, and then when I was just kind of like, you know what, this, this is fun. It's something different for me to do. I've spent the last couple of years sitting behind a computer, writing emails, answering phone calls, doing sales, the marketing, and, you know, I get to travel every now and then to shoot, but a lot of time was spent behind the computer. So when I started building these holsters again, it was just something fun for me to do with my hands. So okay. it started becoming like, oh, well, I, yeah, let's, let's see if there's a, a way I can make something out of this, you know, make some extra cash and, uh put myself in a little better financial situation. I've got, I've got a lot of, like I said, I've been broke ever since. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I'll tell you a funny story about how much do I love competition shooting. And Nils Jonasson and his wife, Jessica, will both attest to the, the comedy of this situation was that there was, um, there was a time where I'd been through my divorce. So I'm already giving part of my paycheck off to an ex-wife for child support. Um, <clears throat> I'm living in my own apartment just barely making ends meet, like really just trying to like pick and choose which bill I paid on time and which one I had to let set for a while. And I, I got a package from Safari Land right before I was supposed to fly out for production nationals. It was the first time I was going to production nationals and they sent me a full Glock rig setup. So I get home from work. I see the box outside my door. I pick it up. I unlock my door. I go in. And it's dark because I turn everything off and I go in. But as I close my door, I notice that like, boy, it sure is quiet in here. Because the power had been shut off. Because I didn't pay my power bill on time, right? Oh, so no. I'm like, oh, crap. Like, Jesus Christ, this is going <laughs> to suck. So I assembled my production rig. You know, it's an ELS system. So I've got to put the plates on the belt. And then, you know, mm. I assembled that together by candlelight until because I, I paid my bill but it takes a while for them to get the money and then be like okay cool now let's turn this power back on oh, uh, right. so I, I assembled that by power by candlelight and then like two days later i had to fly out for for nationals well all my money went to the power bill so now i have i'm, I'm flying there the tickets already bought and all kind of stuff but i've got no money for food oh my goodness so uh nils and jessica helped me out we go to this is when we're in uh, i think it was in quincy illinois we go to a place called Fazoli's, which is like a fast food Italian restaurant place, right? Okay. And I just happened to be lucky enough that they were doing this like special system, like game, where it was kind of like the McDonald's Monopoly game, where you got the you ordered your meal, and they had little tickets you could peel off the drinks and the and the food, 
and then they had instant win prizes and then they had other you know like discounts or whatever i lived off of fazoli's for that entire week because every single meal that we went to they would have to stop at fazoli's for me to turn in because every time i'd peel a ticket off i always won a free spaghetti and meatballs nice so that entire match we would always swing by fazoli so i could get my food and then they would go wherever they wanted to um, but i i survived off fazoli's i so i assembled my belt by candlelight and then when i got to the match i lived off fazoli's because they just kept getting free spaghetti and meatball tickets for that um that's that's how into com competition shooting was i literally had to wow. pick between bullets and food and i chose bullets <laughs> apparently well, at least when you got back to your apartment, there was electricity. So that's yeah, right. yeah, the, the air conditioning worked. Man, you know, not having AC in Vegas sucks. But oh, luckily, yeah. I, luckily, I was working day shift. So when I got to my apartment, it was nighttime already. Uh, so I, yeah, it was still a little warm, but it wasn't so hot. It was unbearable. But wow, do you ever wish you'd have pursued the entertainment business a little more? Uh, I mean. You know, it's you can always say yes or no to a question like this. If I if I could right. go back and change it, then I wouldn't be where I am, and Lord knows where I would be or what kind of person I would be. Right. Um, you know, probably I wouldn't have Naomi. I wouldn't be with Kelly. So that's a lot so, to ask uh, me to give up. If you know, if I could go back so, and do it again, as of right now, I'd make the all the same choices because I'm I'm very happy with where I am. I love it here in Missouri. I'm I'm glad. We moved to Missouri when I did. I think if I had to move here when I was in my 20s still, I'd have been pissed off. But because, you know, I was 34 when we moved here, COVID was going on. I was sick of the big life uh, or the big city life and all the stupid laws and the, the COVID restrictions that were being taken place. I mean, when everything was still happening in Vegas with the mask and the six feet apart, da da da, da we came here to visit. So it was awesome because the plane was empty because no, everyone was afraid of traveling. Um, <clears throat> So we would fly and literally there'd be like 12 other people on the plane with us. So we had a baby with us. If she started screaming, no one cared because they were six rows back and it didn't bother them. And then when we got here to Chillicothe, it's the small town we live in now, no one wore a mask. Everyone went to Walmart. No, it did. COVID did not necessarily exist here. You could go get tested, but like. Nobody you know. cared. Yeah, the elderly did wear masks, but that was because they were high-risk people. Like, if they wanted to wear a mask, cool. But you'd walk in, and no one was saying, like, you, you need to put your mask on. It's like, no one said that to me anytime I came here. And and the yeah. first time we came and visited, it was nice. Lots of green. You know, uh, there was a little creek that ran through the little park that was right in front of uh, the house we were staying at, which is uh, Kelly's grandparents' old house. Um, just very, it was like this weird, like, so what are we doing today? I don't know. We'll figure it out. What, you don't have a plan? No, why? We don't need one. We're just here. Let's hang out. You know, it was like, whoa, I'm not used to being this relaxed all the time. It's kind of nice, right. you know? Um, Life kind of slowed down. You could enjoy it. Yeah, it was like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go fishing? Yeah. Okay, cool. There's a, there's a river four miles away. Let's go. Like, what? I don't have to plan a camping trip to go fishing like I did in Vegas. I could literally just go fish, you know? Um, so we came here once. I liked it. Came here a second time. I loved it. The third time is when I started looking up property. And when I saw the price of property out here was when I was like, what the fuck am I still doing in Vegas? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, like we started looking up property right then and there. And the great thing about, you know, us coming to this small town is this is where Kelly was born and raised. Her family was born and raised here too. So they still lived here. So it was awesome because that we were able to go like, all right, 
here's a list of the houses that we're we're interested in and her mom was able to go and see and be like oh this this house their their ceiling sucked so we're, no we're not going to go to this one okay this house had this problem this house was really nice but here's you know so we had someone on the ground that was able to actually go and look at the houses versus just having to rely on you know virtual tour or whatever but um yeah and then i came out here i mean everything my my car insurance went down by 50 percent cost of living I mean, of course now the cost of living is back up so i'm i'm glad right. i moved because if i was still in vegas i can tell you i'd be homeless based on <laughs> the cost of everything cost. being what it was you know right so yeah, yeah it's not it's cheap awesome. out there no no and and here it's it's crazy i mean if i if i could lift this property if i could airlift this property back to vegas and smack and, and plant it right smack dab in the middle of it i'd be able to sell it for two million easy wow okay i mean I, this is a it's nine thousand square foot lot with a 2700 square foot house in Vegas, okay. that's a $2 million house. <laughs> you know, you can't get 9,000 wow. square feet lot in Vegas. So. Wow, that's, that's all. And that's only about a little bit less than a, what, a quarter of an acre? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I went from paying, I went from paying rent on it. So the house that we were staying at in Vegas, it was a 1,600 square foot house on a 2,100 square foot lot. The rent was $1,400, so after all of the gas, electric, cable, and all that kind of stuff, I was paying $2,000 a month for that. And now here, with our property, it's I went from having a rent of $1,400 a month to a mortgage of about nine. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus, what the hell? I could have <laughs> had this house so paid long. off by then. Yeah. So, but I think the timing was perfect. Like I said, if I, if I had to move out here sooner than that, like I still liked the, the big city life when I was younger, you know, shot shows excited. I used to go out and party all night and then show up the next day, all tired and hung over. And the, once I got over that stuff real quick, though, it was just kind of like, nope, I kind of like this, uh, small town living. And I cannot believe it took me 34 years to figure out how much I enjoyed hunting. So you didn't do that until you moved to Missouri? Nope. I had never okay. hunted a day in my life until I moved out here to Missouri. And uh, it was just because, like, you know, there's such a big, steep learning curve to hunting. Um, you got to learn all the rules, the regulations, when the season is, what's legal to do, what's not legal to do. And then there's also the cost of, like, well, do you need camo or not? Do you need to get an electronic call or do you know how to do a manual call with a mouth call or something like that? And there was just so much information that I was, like, so intimidated to try and tackle that I never looked into it. Plus, Hunting in Nevada is expensive as is because, like, if you want to do a deer hunt, you got to put in for a lottery. So you got to pay money to mm. put your name in, and then you got to hope that you get drawn. And then when you get drawn, now the real cost comes in because now you got to buy the tag full. You know, you actually have to buy the tag. Then you got to schedule your trip because it's not like you can just drive ten miles outside of Vegas and now you're on hunting ground. You've got to actually go up, you know, somewhere north and go chase the mule deer or whatever. So it's just way more cost. Uh, uh, there was so much more cost into hunting in Nevada versus here. When I came out here, um, I, I got my hunter safety card in Nevada and then I transferred it over to Missouri when we moved here. So as soon as I could legally go buy a tag, I went and bought one and it was funny cause I walked in, um, you know, I, I made myself a promise. I was, I was going to shoot a buck for my first deer ever. And I was going to do it with a bow. I refused to use a firearm. It was like cheating. So I wanted to do that. And 
I walked into the Missouri Conservation Department and I asked for, I said, I wanted a, a, a archery deer tag. And they're like, okay, cool. No problem. That's $19. So I said, okay, cool. Uh, can I get two? And they're like, two what? Like, I want to get two deer tags. And so she goes, <laughs> you mean like on top of the two that you get? And she, and I went, what do you mean two I get? She goes, so for $19 with archery, you're going to get two any deer tag and two turkey tags. And I was like, $19, I can potentially kill four animals. <laughs> <laughs> you know and she's like now if you want an extra deer tag like i can give you an antlerless deer tag and those are seven dollars and i was like seven dollars for another one <laughs> like you know jesus put me down for five i'm gonna kill everything now granted that was before i realized how difficult it was to actually right. get a deer close enough within bow range you know if i was shooting with a rifle for the whole season then yes i could i could drop deer left and right because at 200 yards i'm, I'm very comfortable taking that shot with an ar-15 no problem but with a bow, forty yards is a is a tall order to try and hit those vitals, um, you know. So, but it's just been so much fun, and it was it's comical because there's there's moments where you know the, the property seems to be slow. We got trail cameras out, and we we hunt on a private piece of land from one of our friends, and there could be nothing on our camera for three or four days, and I'll still wake up at four o'clock in the morning get ready and go out to the property and go sit there, you know, an hour before the sun comes up. And I remember at one point Kelly texted me while I was out there and she was like, why are you out there? Like, there's nothing on the camera. You, you know, there's nothing out of the property walking around right now. Like, why are you even out there? Well, for me, it was like, babe, 34 years in Vegas. I've been around noise my entire life. Do you know how cool it is for me to just go find my tree stand, climb up it, and then just sit there in dead silence for three hours and listen to everything wake up around me. Like, it is so cool. And I had such I, – I, one of the coolest things I've ever had happen to me, which wouldn't have happened if I didn't get out there as early as enough, was um, I had an owl come and fly right in front of my face. Like, I could, I probably could have reached out and smacked his wingtip if I wanted to. So he, came, he, he comes and flies right in front of me. Scares the hell out of me. But he flies right in front of me, lands on the branch – you know, maybe like 15 feet from me. And then after he realizes I'm there, he takes off and flies back into the, into the timber. I didn't hear him. Not once. He's, I can physically see him. Like I can see him right there. He's right in front of me. And then he just goes off and I didn't hear a single freaking noise. I was like, huh, I've gone deaf. <laughs> like it was so crazy to see an animal that big, not make any noise. And it's also crazy. The fact that, you know, you hear something in the leaves it's a squirrel. It's not yeah. A, a one pound squirrel sounds Makes like the a loudest noise in the forest. Yep. She, that it sounds like a four hundred pound person in flip flops <laughs> carrying all their groceries out of Walmart. But right. a deer, a two hundred pound deer, can sneak up right on you, and you won't even realize he's there until you're what? Jesus! What the hell? Like where'd you come from? So. I don't know. It's just been, it's been a lot of fun to learn. Um, and I also, that's why I, I started with my YouTube channel. I, I created a new playlist called FPS Outdoors. Um, so, you know, FPS Holsters, FPS Outdoors. But the idea was I, I wanted to, to create a channel to, for people to be able to watch and be like, oh, well, shit, if, if McLean can do it, then I can do it because I'm way more manlier than he is. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, it's right. not that difficult to get into it. You just got to actually take the jump and, and give it a try. Um, because, yeah, you, you got no clue. I had no clue how much I enjoyed hunting until I actually just went out and did it. And I was like, fuck, dude, this is awesome. And then when you get the meat, like, you know, the first time I ever tried venison, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's not beef. However, 
the more and more I've eaten it, the more I've been like, man, why, this is this is really good. When you learn some recipes and you learn how to cook them, that yeah, fucking fantastic cut of cuts of meat. And then it only cost me nineteen dollars because I gutted it, I butchered <laughs> right. it, I I did everything myself. So I literally knew that meat came straight from the field to my fork. I I know the entire process. I did it all myself. So it's actually kind of cool that when I go in my freezer and I go to pull a piece of that that deer out. Uh, to make for dinner, like picking up the package and reading the name that I give these deer is, you know, the, the one that I killed last year, I named tall boys. Um, like when I pick it up and I see that name written on that package, like my brain goes through and replays the moment when he walked in front of me and I pulled my bow down off of the, off of the stand and I waited for him to get behind a tree so I could go to full draw. Like I, I replay that moment in my head. And it's just, it's like cool that I can have that experience with my food versus like, oh, look, here's a New York strip. I never knew Bessie, but I'm a geek, I'm an eater. Yeah, you know, it's like, that's a different experience that you, you have way more appreciation for the work that went into getting that meat. Absolutely. And you know, it's the, the freshest thing you've got, so... Can't Absolutely. complain about it being organic because it's way more organic than anything you're getting at Whole Foods. I'll tell you that. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, all the Whole Foods stuff that coming from China. <laughs> right? I mean, even then, uh, you, you even read some of the things where people are like, yeah, it's not even really organic. It's just labeled that way. Right. The standards are lax. Yep. Yep. So. Well, John, that's what I've got. Is there anything else you wanted to throw out there or clarify or before we call it a day uh no i mean thanks for having me on i appreciate you letting me blab on for as long as i have um i've enjoyed it it's it's been a good conversation yeah had, had a good time uh, i would like to suggest you know uh for those of you that you know obviously our, our our rights are under attack constantly so stay vigilant stay active you know um be the good person teach it's very easy to take the low road with some of these people and just call them freaking idiots and, you know, badmouth them. But the fact of the matter is, like, man, you, you, you get way more attraction with honey than you do with shit. So not to mention, I mean, you can get a lot of stuff, a lot of attraction with shit. But um, you you can. Know, the, honey, the honey is a way to go for sure. Uh, you know, it just it, it'll late, it'll paint you as a better person to take the high road and then just stick to the facts. Um, this whole bullshit about our kids being able to see drag shows and shit no protect your children protect your kids um you know they're they're our future and the fact that so many people are just willing to allow their children to go see shit like that absolutely makes my blood boil so um you know let's remember to spend time with our family teach them values make sure they understand what's right from wrong because that shit is wrong for sure um and other than that you know have fun. Be kind. Love one another. We're we're what we got. We're all in one big family trying trying to make it through this this game of life in one piece. But um, you know, no. I hold resentment towards maybe one or two people in my life, and even that gets tiring. <laughs> From, yeah, it does. Yeah, uses a lot of energy. Yeah. So, but um, no, nah, man. Thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks to all my sponsors uh, for, for giving me the opportunity to do what I do and become the person that I have. And, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Mm -hmm.